Let's see. That work? Excellent. So in the Zen school, there's um, the Zen being a sort of, well, Tang Dynasty and slightly before um, Chinese invention, there's two different ways of talking about the, or form, formalisms for talking about the trajectory of practice, right? Um, and the first one, which came down in the from from the time of, of Buddha in, in the original teachings, is the 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 eightfold path. And you've been studying the. Um, uh, the Buddha's sort of first sermon and the Four Noble Truths with um, Kodo a bit, as I understand, right? So um, he hasn't gotten to this one yet. Um, and I, I'll resist, um, you know, uh, stealing his thunder by going into it too deeply, although he would, he would always have something, you know, better to say about it than me. But, um, It, it's a, you know, this, the, as you recall, the, the Four Noble Truths are that um, life is suffering, life is the, and there is suffering in life and life leads, I think, you know, a human life leads inevitably to suffering, right? Um, that, that suffering arises out of a certain grasping and aversion that arise from self-concern and reification, right? And that, um, and that there's freedom from suffering and that the freedom, and this is the fourth noble truth, that freedom from suffering can be accessed, explored, and acted out, enacted um, via the Noble Eightfold Path, right? And the, the, the path I simply laid out is, is, you know, right view, right intention, right speech, action and livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness and right samadhi, right concentration, right meditation, right? Um, So that was that was a you know so that's kind of the the capsule summary of the of the the early Buddhist teachings and a lot of the the, the you know additional early Buddhist teachings which I was looking around today because I was I was looking at references um, I just have a tiny fraction of the early Buddhist teachings on my 
uh, on this of this sort of poly cannon on my on my shelf here, and it's a lot. <laughs> There's really really a lot of it. It's amazing actually. Um, so many um, sutras, so many you know short, long, short, and medium length sutras, and so much additional material. Um, you know, kind of in some cases kind of loosely cataloged in other cases kind of um, expansively cataloged, right? Um, and a lot of it is, a lot of that material is just a kind of continuing explanation and re-exposition and deeper and deeper analysis um, of those Four Noble Truths, right? Um, and in particular of the Noble Eightfold Path, right? So, because you might ask the question like, well, what does it mean to hold right view, right? Well, okay, there, it, it's very specific. It, it says you hold the view that's, that's outlined in this vast conceptual framework that, that underscores Buddhism, right? That, that, um, starting with the Four Noble Truths, that life is suffering, that, um, you know, that suffering arises from self-reification, grasping and aversion, that there's freedom and then there's this path, right? So starting with that, and then it gets, it, it gets more and more complicated and more and more subtle, fundamentally, um, what it means to hold right view, right? Um, and and this is the same is true for all of them, right? So what does it mean to to make right effort? Well, it's a, the the somewhere else in the Pali Canon, it says very specifically how to um, how to to subtly exert yourself such that um, that unhelpful difficult states of mind can be either settled down or even kind of deprecated and, and vanished for a while. And that positive, helpful states of mind can be promoted and, um, and installed in, in, your, in your body and mind, right? Um, as a result of, again, of this kind of subtle, um, unforced effort, right? Um, Similarly with mindfulness, there's a whole whole book. I think I actually gave a talk about it a while ago called the you know Maha Satipatthana Sutta. That's that's a um, that's a massive analysis of what what it means to exert right mindfulness um, the way it says in the in the Noble Eightfold Path. So it's this you know the you could argue and I I often look at it this way that the Four Noble Truths are the top level bullet points of some giant presentation. And the, the Pali Canon is the, is the fruition of that presentation, you know. And if you, if you laid it out as a, um, as a PowerPoint presentation, it would be, no, I don't know, a thousand slides or something like that, right? Um, like, I, okay, this is, this is a, Terrible digression, but I went to high school with this guy, this sort of tremendously cool um, kind of, you know, 
cynical, difficult, tremendously handsome guy, right? Who <laughs> after after high school went off. And the next I heard from him, he was a um, he was a neocon policy wonk in Washington. And what he was famous for more than anything else is for having a 500 slide PowerPoint presentation describing the neocon, uh, you know, kind of philosophy and strategy for that he would give to um, he would give to politicians that he was trying to, you know, convince to join the, you know, jump on the neocon bandwagon. And, and they called it the Death Star presentation, right? So, so the, the polycanon PowerPoint would be twice or three times as long and, and, you know, infinitely better, right? So anyway, um, so it would be like that, right? The other, the, the other way of talking about the trajectory of practice in Zen is just, it's called the way, right? right? And, it's, and, and it's in, you know, in Chinese characters, it's just a single character Dao, which has a, um, it, has a it has a foot um, and, a, and I think a, a, another one of the radicals in it is I think it's like a um, a sun right so it's got it's it's got this idea of walking in the in the you know walking along a path in the light of day right um, and that way of talking about the trajectory of, of practice grew up in China right around the same time, not exactly the same time, but right around the same time as Buddhism, right? So it was, it, it was, the, it was the centerpiece of, of Taoism, hence the name, right? Um, you know, which I guess if you translate it, it would be called Wayism, right? Um, pathism, that, that, in some ways points at exactly the same problem, right? The, they, they're, both, they're both designed to address this problem, which is that humans, in spite of their matchless gifts, and in some ways because of their matchless, matchless gifts, are constantly messing things up, causing suffering to themselves and others, and, um, breaking stuff that shouldn't be broken, um, uh, you know, doing harm broadly and unnecessarily and, and just kind of, you know, making a mess of things, right? Um, the, this is, was noticed both in India and in China uh, right around the same time. And there were a number of, of solutions that were proposed both in India and in China for this particular problem, right? And in and in the case of Taoism, uh, it's the way, right? And in the most famous and you know shortest book about the about this is the Tao Te Ching, right? The, the it's, which essentially means the book of the way and its virtue, sort of, or that's one way of translating it. Um, and the the, the 
the the style the style of the poly cannon is very specific um kind of list oriented and um and 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 detailed and and looks like it was designed to be highly functional right like you look at you you, you know you read you start here in the in the giant presentation um where it says write mindfulness and you dig down and you go oh look wait look down here it, it talks very specifically how to apply mindfulness on, on a moment-to-moment -moment basis in the middle of your life right um the 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 Tao Te Ching is not like that at all it's very different it's it's um it's it's a, like a collection of aphorisms that sketch out and point in the direction of something but it says very specifically, it says, if you can talk about it, it's not the way, right? If you can name it, it's not the, it's not the eternal name. It's not the, the name of the thing we're talking about. And then it says things like, um, it, 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 what it points to is the way is this idea of not doing like, so, um, and it's, it's a little confusing, but it says, by by not doing we reestablish the natural order of things right um and if you look at it more specifically this kind of not doing or undoing or non-doing that it's talking about has to do with acting both internally and externally in in a way that aligns as closely as possible with the natural order of things, right? And so it'll, um, let me see, uh, there's a, you know, I have a couple of quotes here, I think. Oops, that's not where I have them though, sorry. Um, it says things like, well, practicing non-action allows the natural order to be restored. It also says, self is realized through selflessness or for through no self right it says and it says wealth and pride are the authors of error right so in other words when we're when we're submerged in self-concern and um uh you know self attachment right um then then we we make these errors, which where where we, which is to say we act in a way that's out of line with the natural order, and we mess things up, right? Um, and if we were just to act in a way that that reflected the natural order and the the forces that are alive in the moment when we're acting, uh, we'd do better, right? Um, so so that's the way right um and the you know the Tao Te Ching is not very long um and it and it and it's the most specific description in some ways of of the way that that you can get your hands on and it it's very very elliptical right um and I have to say that when I first was attracted to Buddhism um you know, I have this sort of long, complicated history with Zen where my parents were convert Buddhists 
um, Asia at least for a while. And my mom was a you know convert Zen student and used to drag me off to sit and and so on. And I I didn't really get interested in it in it until a lot later when I'd been I'd spent you know a solid. 20 years beating my head against something but but uh in the end i got interested in it and my attraction to it i have to say i'd i'd read the four noble truths and i'd i'd think life is suffering yes i get that suffering arises from you know clinging or grasping an aversion and this kind of self um attachment and reification yeah i gotta get that right and and you know it becomes clearer and clearer the more you study it right and you know there's freedom from suffering and i would and i'd go yeah that makes tons of sense to me i've i experience freedom from suffering sometimes and i have a sense of in some ways of how it arises and then and he'd say and the way you enact that is by the noble eightfold path and and it was this, you know, it was usually spelled out in this really programmatic way. And I think, really? Is that true? Right? Uh, because, you know, when you're, when you study, when you study the thing from the Zen angle, and you're looking at, for example, the koan literature or something like that, it never spells anything out, right? It just says, um, you know, these, this couple of people had this exchange, and one of them woke up. Right. And and it it doesn't it it doesn't spell out in any in any like concrete fashion what the components of that that are. I mean, there there are there are programs for talking about and um, and kind of making use drawing useful conclusions or or not drawing any conclusions from from koans right but but they're not prescriptive right and so i had trouble reckon, reconciling the you know the way and the path which were clearly to um you know trajectories that were in were intended to address this suffering that I was, you know, um, firmly aware of and would, would wanted to kind of end in one way or another, right? Um, and what you come to see after you study this for a while, though, is that if you look at the Tao Te Ching, and you look at Taoism in general, it doesn't so much address experience, right? Like the 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 it's it 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 uses this rich kind of metaphorical language to talk about the aspects of the natural order, some of which impinge on experience and so on. But it doesn't talk particularly directly about about the experiential nature of the practice that um, that they're suggesting, right? And there are some reasons for that. And that is that if you talk, if you're too specific about experience, this is, this is certainly a discovery of the Zen school. If you're too specific about experience, um, 
the it's easy to 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 kind of get misled by the conclusions you draw from draw from your experience, right? And think this is it, or you know, this this experience that I had is central to the practice or something. And it turns out that that often those judgments are are wrong. So I think the the um, the Taoists were um, were at least most comfortable with being kind of elliptical about experience but when the when the during this confluence of ideas that happened when buddhism landed in china the the schools that eventually became the zen school adopted the way from taoism as a way of talking about their um the trajectory of their practice and what buddhism does a lot that taoism doesn't do is it talks about experience right it 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 actually analyzes in in tremendous detail the 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 fine points of the experience of practice. So, for example, like in the Satipatthana Sutta that I was measuring talking about before, right? Like they're really specific about the mind that they want you to bring to your experience, right? They, they say, and this is, this is kind of the kind of genius of the. Satipatthana Sutta and why it's so valuable is that it 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 makes it really clear that you bring awareness to your um, you bring this sort of continuous awareness to your experience um, and the the mind that goes along with that awareness is you know confirms the nature of experience I'm I'm experiencing this thing I'm having a a negative thought. I'm having a positive thought. I'm having a. I'm. I'm. You know. I'm feeling attachment. I'm feeling aversion, and so on and so forth. You know, and it, on the emotional scale, or etc. Right. I'm feeling sad, happy. So you you confirm your experience. You're fundamentally curious, inquiring, and non-judgmental. Right. To 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 just allow that experience to arise without without messing with it, right? Um, and if you mess with it, then you think, look, I'm messing with it, right? <laughs> you know, and to, and and you 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 affirm and um and kind of um yeah kind of point directly in your mind about the nature of that experience and then move on to the next the next thing that happens, right? And and the, the Satipatthana Sutta says, you know, if you really do this and you just do it for a little while, it has an amazing effect on you. In fact, it says you can be in line in a week, right? It, I, that's, a, um, that's an exaggeration, but, but it, really, it really does have this, this powerful effect. And that the, what the, I think what the, the Buddhists that were, you know, the, or the the people that were sort of imbibing Buddhist literature and Taoist literature at the same time realized is that there's some there there's this really specific confluence between those ideas about mindfulness and concentration that that arise in the in the um, in the Pali Canon and, and the, 
the underlying idea in the way this the, this way of surrendering to the the natural forces that are alive in the moment right now without adding anything in leaving anything out or or acting on anything but what what's actually happening now right it's it's there are two ways of talking about the same thing right um and and there the so that's one side of it is that the that the that the way and the kind of fruition of the way is described in the eightfold path uh, of this, the fruition of the path it's described in the eightfold path are are the same thing right and then in terms of the program um it's also clear that that both in the in the Pali literature and in the the literature of in the literature of Zen, right? Um, it's clear that what both of them are saying is that there's this kind of virtuous loop that goes on. The you know the the in the Zen school you um, you swear to the precepts, which are essentially a um, a slightly um, kind of permuted version of the eightfold path, right? Of the of the prescriptions in the eightfold path, and and the the intention in the Zen school is that abiding by those precepts supports the development of this mind of of the way, right? And and furthermore, that that adhering to the way and practicing in in the way supports um, naturally supports uh, skillful virtuous conduct, right? And and interestingly, that virtuous circle also shows up in the uh, in the literature of the Noble Eightfold Path because often when you first hear about the Eightfold Path, it's spelled out as a program, right? Um, which, you know, and the, the idea is that you, um, you, develop, you develop a view that aligns with the Buddhist view. And so you take vows, you, um, you conduct yourselves according to the vinya, which is to say you, um, you, you, you know, engage in right action, right livelihood and right speech, right? And, um, and, and as a result of that, you improve your ability to concentrate and and so on and so forth and that's kind of the that's kind of the path laid out as a line but equally um people spell it out as a um uh as a circle right in which every element on that path supports every other so so if in the moment you engage in right speech then that promotes a kind of connection and an engagement that then again enacts the way, right? So, so anyway, the two things, the two thing, the way and the path merge in practice, right? Fundamentally, and um, there's no distinction. Um, so, does anybody have any questions about that before we move on and maybe do a little group discussion? What do you think? Yeah, I, I have a question. Of course. 
So, I, to me, it, it seems like there's a, a difference in specificity, right, of, of, uh, of how to behave in the Sen school versus the Theravada school, right? Um, the, well, the, the Vinaya which, is like, uh, yeah, yeah. right, go for it. No, I was going to say, yeah, I mean, the, the, there's a history to that, which is that, you know, like the Vinaya, right? It, it's this, it was this increasingly specific set of prescriptions um, that were designed to, to request and support a particularly, a, a, a life that was particularly um, focused on practice. Right, really, really strictly focused on practice, um, and to remove um, uh, remove d distractions, and also to to you know anyway something like that. So, and and at some point in the advent of Buddhism in China, not starting with the Zen school, I think, but starting with the Tendai school the um chinese buddhists were like you know what we're not gonna we're not gonna swear to the whole you know massive list of precepts right we're going to we're going to s slim down the set of precepts and and we're going to and particularly with with the zen school we're going to um study and um, explore those precepts less as a set of, of, um, of kind of monastic forms and rules that are designed to build a particular container, right? And, and more a, as a way of, of, of connecting with and studying the the mechanisms of suffering in each one of us right so the you know you 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 say i'm not gonna you know i'm not going to uh, to to lie right and the invitation in that is to explore in intimate detail your relationship with truth and first of all the extent to which truth is, is possible even to grasp and second of all the way in which everyone in a social context and, and other contexts plays with that um, for for various reasons and to really to really you know like study it in so much intimate detail that that it in the end it dissolves right it's like it's like uh, a um, you know a, like a grain of salt dissolving in water right um, but the interesting thing about it is that if you if you look at at the path of priesthood, I mean, no, so I had this experience where you know I'd kind of looked at the at the 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 Padimoksha and and all the rest of that sort of thing in the city of the Vinaya, and I I could see th there were a whole bunch of precepts that I was like, 
where did that come from? Like stuff about the um, the the relation between the width of the borders and the width of, of a robe and all the rest of that sort of thing, right? And then when I went to get my priest robe, um, Blanche, she was, she was talking about it and she was saying, yeah, you know, let's see, we'll measure you because, you know, the relationship between the width of the robe and the width of the borders is supposed to be such and such. And I was like, wait, that's from the, that's from the original poly canon, right? Uh, and, and it turns out, and it, it turns out that some of the things that are prohibitions in the poly canon are, um, are part of practice, for example, in the Zen school and other Chinese Buddhist schools as kind of things that you do when you're wearing your okesa, right? <laughs> Which is, I thought was really kind of interesting. So, that, so that it's not like they completely went away it's it's that there's a there's a there's a different boundary between lay life and um, and monastic life and uh, and uh, you sort of literally take them on and take them off depending on on what you're doing and that I think has to do with the fact that the Zen school is a Mahayana school right um, and so it has a it has a different idea subtly different idea about the relationship between monastic life and 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 lay life um does that make sense and does that do you you know because it's a it's a really great question is there do you have more to that question or what do you think oh yeah i i, I guess I, I i was just thinking that zen seems to well when i asked the question it seems like zen seems to generalize more or, or better than the Theravada, uh, like ha having like like out lighting out all these like specific, very specific behaviors for all people, like it's gonna eventually get in their way, right? And maybe you lose what the original um, motivation for that behavior was. Yeah, you know, instead of yeah, I of like the sixteen bodhisattva precepts, and that's it. <laughs> yeah, I I. I think it's a I think it's a complex issue, right? So clearly, you know, forms and rituals on their own are are beneficial, right? Um, and and it's good to have, you know, that's what monastic forms are for. You you prescribe every every moment of a monk's life and oddly enough it 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 leads to this weird kind of freedom not even weird this really amazing kind of freedom that has to do with not having to do anything except be present for whatever it is that you're doing right now it's amazing it's really good right um and i think that's i think that's one of the functions of the of the of the vast rule set that sort of um that surrounds initial monastic life. I don't think it's the only one, but I think it's I think it's one of them, right? I, I clearly um, it sets up a it sets up a situation in which not that many people, particularly, let's say here in the West, can actually become monks under 
under the original Theravadan scheme, right? You know, they it, it's just not it's not practical for, you know, if 50% of if 50% of all Americans were um, were you know were Theravadan monks and nuns, right? Um, the world would be a very different place, and I and it's not it's not totally clear to me it would be sustainable, right? Um, if if the if the uh, if fifty percent of of Westerners were um, were you know Zen Buddhist practitioners in the style of um, of, of say Tang Dynasty China, where you know regional officials would you go off to do sashins and then come back and I don't know you know collect the taxes and all the rest of that sort of thing. Um, it seems to me that would be more sustainable, but um, and you know hopefully it would have a beneficial effect. I guess we'll see when that happens. Um, but yeah, anyway, I guess it'd, it'd yeah. be it'd be more sustainable for the all sentient beings, but less for the human race. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, maybe right. The the uh, you know the raccoons and the and the um, and the and the fish would would celebrate wildly, right? If that was true. <laughs> Yeah, it would be great. Uh, yeah, and and the rocks even would celebrate. <laughs> right. yeah.